0: Rockheads, quit gabbing with your entities and your uncle-tees and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan, here to announce show number 276 with guest Mike Griffin, recorded live Monday, September 24th, 2007. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter And now, bringing world-class expert-led training in C-sharp, ASP.net, VB.net, SharePoint, BizTalk, Team System, and Workflow Foundation on-site to your development team. Details online at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, combining the best in Windows forms and ASP.net controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com and by Code Magazine, the leading independent magazine for for.NET developers. Online at www.code magazine.com. And now, the man who thinks they should call it the I don't phone, Carl Franklin.
1: Thank you very much, and welcome back to .NET Rocks. It's Carl Franklin, Richard Campbell here. Hi, Richard. Hello, sir. I'm doing fine. How are you? I am just fine and ready for another
2: fantastic show.
1: And getting ready for our trip to Bulgaria, which should be a lot of fun. We're going to learn to uh, relearn how to drink Rekia and say, (laughs) (laughs) "mamka (laughs) mu," Which means, oh, shit. (laughs) <laughs> it was our toast du jour when we were there last year. Yeah, I always got good stares in the bar when we toast. Hey, let's get into it with Better Know Framework, shall we? <laughs> All right, what do you got for me? Richard, this uh, I want to have this uh, discussion with you because um, it, it's an ASP.NET class, and it's a class that most people know about. It's the page class. Right. The system.web.ui.page, but not the whole class. I'm really interested in a couple of overridable methods, and they are save page state to persistence medium, right? and the other is the counterpart of that, load page state from persistence medium. And what this does is you know about view state, right? Yeah. View state on controls and pages and things. And when you take this view state, the view state has to be saved somewhere. And typically it's um, serialized into a base 64 string and sent down to the user in this great big hidden input uh, tag, right? Right. And and I found pages. Now I know why
2: you said I wanted to talk to you about this because we've been doing a lot of work in this area. And I've seen pages
1: with, that are sixty or seventy percent view state exactly. So that's why I wanted to bring this up because uh, you in Strange Loop, you you guys are tackling this problem a different way. But um, with this, with these uh, methods, you can override in a page class. And by the way, I wouldn't suggest you do it in every single page. I suggest you make a base class and use that instead of your 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 page class. But anyway. Um, you can hook this when the, when the view state gets saved. Instead of uh, allowing it to go through, which would serialize and send it to the browser, you could write it to disk. You could put it in session. You could do whatever you want to with it. Right. And then you could pull it out based on uh, you know the the key, and then you, you deserialize it or do whatever you want and return it. So it basically, allows you to choose the persistence medium uh, for the view state. Now. I want to know if this is still a good idea. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, the,
2: the essential default method of writing view state to the browser is safe. And it's safe for a couple of different reasons. I mean, one thing is uh, the browser's always there. And, and as long as you're posting back, which is the only time that that state data is going to matter. Right. Uh, it's going to come back reliably. Yeah, you're going to have the right version. And that's the big thing is, you know, you hit the back button, you're just going to get the old view state data from the page there. Right. Any other persistence mechanism, and you've got
1: to be careful about doing that. Right, especially if it's on the server. Right now, you guys in Strange Loop, you you know about this because you've been working with it for so long. Yeah, we've been
2: uh, fighting with it, but we don't use uh, these override methods to handle view state. In fact, we've got two techniques. One is a straight up page sniffing, where as the data goes through, we simply modify it and remove the view state and store it on the uh, the S one thousand.
1: And the other way is uh, via a custom provider. Okay. So in lieu of a provider, this is still a good alternative uh, method, though, right? You
2: know, using it the way you described it in a base class to say just write it to the session store, yeah. that's a pretty good alternative as long as you're going to manage the different versions of it properly and, right. and clean up and don't let your session get too big because that causes its own problems.
1: Right. I guess if you're using SQL Server in a, in a, in a session, then you've got less of a problem with storage. But the, the, the key to it is literally the key that you're using in the Session object, it has to be based on uh, the URL and the user ID because you're going to have to have, well, I guess not the user ID, but the URL specifically. Yeah, once you're working with Session, uh, ASP.NET takes care of a lot of that for you. Right, right. Not the, I didn't mean the user ID, um, but the, but the URL because you want a different version of the state for each URL. And that's where I think you're throwing up the red flag. It can get kind of big.
2: Yeah, um, it's, especially if your session's still in process, and then you also add in all your view state data into the session object as well, you're going to start garbage collecting a lot because you're going to rip through the memory in the web server in a hurry. Well,
1: anyway, if you do use this, you'll—it's going to be very cool because all of a sudden, you—if you view source, that view state tag in the browser uh, source code is going to go from a huge honking value to nothing. Quote yeah, quote, it'll go away. Empty quotes. So it's pretty cool. Load page state from persistence medium and save page state to persistence medium in the system.web.ui.page class. Excellent. Blah, 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 blah. That was a mouthful. <laughs>
2: <laughs> hey, I got a short email for you. Yes. Uh, this is from our friend Maximo Guerrero. Maximo. Who writes us every so often, and, and I wanted to read this one because it's flat-out content. He says, hi, Carl and Richard. On the show with Jack Harrington, you asked him about other IDEs like Visual Studio for other web platforms. All right, For Java, there is the Sun Studio Creator 2, which is used for creating JSP websites and portlets, or is that applets? And it's a nice tool for building portlets with the Oracle 10G portal. Yes, I said the O word. Uh-huh. While I'm a 100% .NET guy, our clients are not. JSP has got a lot to go in terms of catching up with ASP.NET. Mm-hmm. Max Garau.
1: What I was really interested in, I knew there were different IDEs, but I wanted yeah. to know if there was anything that was even close to what Visual Studio gives you. I'm not so sure from his answer that that's the case. Well, and, yeah, obviously, Sun has its
2: development environment, and it has some features. And then if, never forget Eclipse. You know, you right. can't argue with the price. It's it's out there. But uh, I still think Studio's out in the lead. However, I would point out that very just today I installed another test edition of Studio for Strange Loop, and the DVD that it comes on is three and a half gigabytes. Oh, my God. And that is big.
1: Yeah, that's big. Well, okay. Uh, we're going to see you in Barcelona. We're going to see you in uh, at Dev Connections in November, and uh, Dev Teach and Dev Reach in Bulgaria next week. Oh my God, it's just going to be <laughs> a crazy fall, but uh, we'll get some good shows out of it. And also, uh, if you haven't heard, uh, you'd like to spend a year in New York City working in an exciting environment with some very creative people, and living in an apartment in Manhattan rent free for a year if you qualify. Uh, that Greg Brill and the guys at Infusion, where Nick Landry works down in Manhattan, they're interested, they want to talk to you. You can read all about it at shrinkster.com slash kh6. And, of course, if you haven't uh, answered the this week's question for the TechEd uh, Europe Barcelona sweepstakes, you want to do that. Go to .netrox.com slash barcelona or click on the Barcelona logo uh, and uh, answer the question. Every week we pick a winner from the people who got the question right about last week's show. Those people win brain bags from Tom Bin, the best best knapsack backpack in the world. And uh, then the winners of those brain bags will go into a pool, and we're going to pick a lucky winner on October 30th. Two lucky winners. I keep forgetting we have two prizes Yeah, we now. have two of those 24-inch monitors. Yeah, 24-inch monitor. Wouldn't that be nice? And
2: speaking of that, we got an email from a fellow named Ola Carlson, and while he certainly told a great story about his journey to Perth, Australia, ah. way out in the middle of nowhere, Listening he to asked a rocks. great question that I don't think we've made clear, which is can people outside of North America win in our Barcelona sweepstakes? Of and course. the answer is yes. Absolutely. <laughs> we know we're an international show. I think we're up at 120 countries now. Yeah. And anyone that listens to the show,
1: can win a brain bag, and win a monitor. And with that, Richard, let's introduce Mike Griffin. Mike is the president of Entity Spaces, and a lot of people probably know him for his previous company, My Generation, which uh, Mike is an a entrepreneurial software developer who started several companies around products he's developed. And the latest is Entity Spaces, which is uh, what we're going to talk about today. Welcome, Mike.
3: Well, thanks. Thanks for having me on your show.
1: Well, it's great to have you here. So uh, let's talk a little bit about um, who you are in the in the business and uh, the things that you've done with my generation, and then we'll lead into entity spaces.
3: Okay. Well, I um, back in early 2004, late 2003, uh, I came up with this idea to write a co-generator. Justin Greenwood and I were working together at a company, and. I had left that company, and we had written this internal code generator that we obviously couldn't use outside of the company. And I called him and said, let's write something that we can create and release free on the market, so I'm never in the situation where I don't have access to a good code generator. So I called Justin one night, and he said, sure, let's do it. And instead of using this proprietary tag system we were doing, we decided to use the scripting engine for Microsoft, which was VBScript, JScript, and later we added C Sharp and VB.NET to it. And then just released it for free. And it just really took off and uh, turned in this huge thing that's uh, still going strong, actually.
1: Yeah, my generation is up there on the list of code generation. at Codegeneration.net. Always been a very popular
3: choice. I think it's in the .NET category on uh, Download.com. It's our number two download of all time. So uh,
2: I ran across your name in looking into Codegeneration because listeners were asking about more cogeneration discussion. And uh, Entity space, I guess, is off on the side of that a little bit. But uh, I don't. How did you get into co-generation and uh, your sort of interest around that? Because people fall on either side of this camp.
3: Yeah, you know, I I was always kind of a technical lead uh, on most projects I was working on. It was a typical, uh, you know, even back in COM and ADL, we were doing building applications on top of SQL Server Database. So a lot of what we were doing was just grunt work. You'd pull up SQL Enterprise Manager and you'd be coding these business entities, you know, and saying, okay, here's a unique ID, a unique identifier. That's a GUID over here. And it was just a ton of grunt work. And customers would constantly want to change the spec, which meant changing the database model, which meant re-engineering all this code. And a, a lot of the stuff I did was Really, just to do it quickly was to create VB, uh, simple VB apps that would point to a table and generate the stored procedures and, uh, all the properties and we'd copy and paste those into our business entities and stuff and at least we could absorb change that way. So really, I kind of got into it as really a survival mechanism as I'm the team lead. We need to pull this project off in a certain amount of time. How can we, you know, eliminate all this grunt work? And, and so code, code generation kind of, I had been doing it, but not in a form that, like, my generation is. It was more of a, here's a custom application we've written that will reverse engineer, uh, stuff from the database schema. So that's kind of how I got into it, and eventually that evolved into a more advanced code generator, and then another code generator after that, which was my generation.
1: Well, let's talk about Entity Spaces, which is really what we're here to talk about. Um, tell us about this product. Is it a commercial product, first of all?
3: Yeah, Entity Spaces, uh, basically came into existence in january of 2006 uh we we formed the company and then we released our first release uh march 31st 2006 but it is a commercial offering we've changed our prices it's uh the developer is 149 it's it's sold per developer seat and the source is i believe it's 499 uh so we offer the source too if some people want that and there's of course a trial version right yeah we have a free trial version, and there's no download required at all to that. We're trying to you know put it in as many people's hands as we we possibly can. Uh, some of the features of entity spaces it's it's pretty unique it what it does is it's it it re, it reverse engineers your business objects from your database schema uh, using my generation. and uh, it's binary independent, meaning that you can reverse engineer a SQL server application from your SQL Server schema and create that same schema in MySQL or Oracle or VistaDB, PostgreSQL SQL Access, and that same exact binary will run on all those different systems. So hmm. it, it, it has some pretty cool features. Also, uh, something that's really nice is you can decide to use stored procedures or not stored procedures and just change that in your config file, and you don't have to change any code. So if you want to use... uh Add, insert, update, and a few other stored procedures for your CRUD operations. You can easily uh, run our template that generates those. Add them to your database and toggle the uh, the mode in our config settings to be stored proc or dynamic query. So we'll we'll build it for you, you know, on the fly, or we, we'll we'll hit your stored procedures.
1: That's pretty cool that you mentioned that because that's been a a big issue with ORMs in general. I think yeah, yeah, you know, a lot of people can't get past the idea that uh, it's actually more beneficial if they're using parameterized SQL
3: in the code rather than stored procs. Yeah. We do a lot of dynamic queries. As a matter of fact, we have a real powerful dynamic query API that is, if you hit our blog, you can see it's It's very similar to link. It's actually very similar to what you're used to doing in just straight SQL. Select from this, join that, where this equals that, order by, group by, and then select dot load. And so it works pretty good. Uh, and that's all built dynamically, you know, and you, you just do it via an IntelliSense. And the nice thing about that also is that those queries also will run against uh, all those databases. You never are dealing with, you know, MySQL uses a, a question mark and SQL uses an at sign and Oracle uses a colon. So you don't ever see any of these decorators or mm. any real, you don't even see Oracle client, SQL client. You never see any of that stuff in your code, yet you have access to all the underlying guts if you need to get there.
1: Now, now you say you build this with IntelliSense, so you have objects that are building dynamic SQL for you. With
3: yeah, so when when you say query dot select, and then there's a, a dynamic query class generated. So you really, basically, you have an employees collection. Let's say you have an employee entity, so you have a collection full of entities. There's also a dynamic query class for that employees table, so you can say query dot select dot first name comma last name you know close print dot where and then you can say last name dot like you know and give it open close print wow. so the whole thing's fed to you via intellisense you almost don't even know how to you know have to even think about it because it's it's very quick I mean it's fun to play with actually I've been we've been adding some new features and it's it's really gonna improve people's productivity
1: yeah that's nice now um,
3: link works similarly to that doesn't it yeah link is link is very similar Um to, to what we're doing they have a, they have a different syntax than we do uh, it's a little I played around with it quite a bit actually uh, I, I find our our syntax more intuitive especially when we're doing uh, joining and stuff like that um, link is very powerful though you can link into our collections we've supported that for a long time um, but we you know we, we basically feel right now that we're not going to spend a lot of time right now trying to s- create link providers for entity spaces because basically link is really supported. Maybe, you know, well, of course on SQL server, some other databases are working towards that, but there aren't really link providers or good link, uh, implementation guidelines for actually creating a link provider. And our query is already understandable to people who are writing SQL. So, uh, we we feel like we're bringing link to at least six databases before link can you know it's not really link but our if you see our syntax it's it's very fluid and understandable
2: well and what also link is dot net 3.5 specific uh,
3: what framework are you running on right we can do it on 2.0 yeah and that's really nice and you know some of the cool stuff that we can do is we we support the arithmetic expressions so you can say select last name plus you know single quote comma, space, you know, so on, and build a uh, a full name out of uh, the user's first name and last name in the database, and that is all built in IntelliSense and then shipped off to the provider, uh, the Entity Spaces provider, and it will actually build the SQL for that. So, for instance, like Oracle and MySQL, they don't really su- support the plus operators like you can do in SQL Server and just concatenate strings. Well, we make right. it look as though you can do that. So the MySQL folks and Oracle folks, we really hide a lot of the complexities. Like we're going to call the CONCAT function uh, and build the string that way, and so on down in the provider. And the nice thing about that is, is you can again, you can run those queries against all these databases, and they'll work. As a matter of fact, our uh, David, uh, my partners, uh, in any in, in spaces are Scott Schechter and David Parsons, and David's been doing most of the in-unit test cases. And we have a massive in-unit test suite we run against any spaces, and that the cool thing is, is we kind of eat our own dog food. We have this, a couple of different schemas, and one of them is a big foreign key hierarchical test database. Oh, nice. Uh, and we run, uh, all this code against all the databases we support, and it's the same exact binary. So we have a huge end-unit test suite that will run against Oracle SQL, VistaDB, PostgreSQL, and it's the same exact binary code, just a different config file. So it's pretty, it's pretty cool stuff. When you actually see it done, there's a lot of power there.
2: So, I mean, are we talking about an ORM product fundamentally that happens to have a, a, a querying tool over top of it? Like I'm trying to think of how this sits in relation to stuff like LLBLGen and, and Hibernate and so forth.
3: Right. Yeah, those are our competitors. I think by far we have the the best query syntax. Now what we don't do that some of those do, there are no XML files in and uh entity spaces. What we do is basically you point to a table, you reverse engineer uh, a business object for that. You can also point to a view hmm. uh and there's there's some other things you can do there, but you can create views or tables and uh generate entities off of that. And the nice thing is, is about entity spaces is that You know, there are no uh, XML files, and there's no modeling. We don't do the modeling like LLB Gen would, for instance. Uh, So you can actually walk into a system that has 250 tables, uh, generate your your entity space's architecture in about 10 minutes, really, literally, and it'll compile clean, and you're up and running. So you're not really individually building and, and reverse engineering a table in a specific way. You know, I want this column. I don't want that column. I want to do a join here. So it's, it's very rapid. What we focus on is, I need to get this product done, and I, need, and I want to get it done as quick as I can, but with a really good architecture. So that's what we are. We're really all about, in a way, it's written in the, in the way that I like to work. It's, it's very quick. It's very intuitive. Uh, it's easy to read. So it's, it's, and it's also, performance-wise, it's extremely fast.
1: Now, if you have a an object hierarchy and you want to create a database from that, will you do it that way as well?
3: No, we don't go the other way. We've been asked about that. We do generate a fully hierarchical data model, so you can actually walk from a lookup table up or from, you know, a high-level object like an order down. So we can walk both ways in the object model, but we don't reverse engineer the schema from you know, the database schema from our classes, and we've been asked that specifically because we have a lot of DNN users, and that's, you know, one of the things that DNN does is in their installation script, they create the tables for their objects. It's something we've considered, but we haven't done that yet. We have a, a lot of .NET Nuke users because the uh, Entity Spaces makes a really good replacement for the .NET Nuke DAL, actually. Oh, interesting. And we, we support the uh, some of the stuff that makes it easy for for .NET Nuke users to run, as a matter of fact.
1: So uh, you said you can replace the data access layer. Does that mean just simply swap
3: it out? Yeah, I think what Scott does is he kind of uses their toolkit and generates a set of objects for uh, whatever he's working on, and then he kind of just basically rips out the .NET Nuke DAO and plugs in our Entity Spaces architecture. We have a couple samples on our site That compare, I think, a guestbook module using the .NET Nuke DAO. It's pretty long and complex when you look at the .NET Nuke stuff. And our entire module is like maybe 60 lines of code. That's how easy it is in in entity spaces. We have very good transaction support, uh, which, you know, .NET Nuke doesn't provide. All the dynamic query API stuff is, is very useful so they don't really have to create a lot of procs. As a matter of fact, that's one of the things I like about Entity spaces is I don't have to stop and say, okay, I need to do X, Y, and Z and go build procs and go reverse engineer and stuff like that. Um, we support a, a bunch of different things like uh, we have two different transaction models. One of the neat things we did is we took, you know how uh, there's the uh, transaction scope object that .NET provides in the system mm. transactions. We wrote our own. It's called the uh, ES transaction scope. And, what it does is it allows you to work on a single ADO .NET-based connection, and it mimics the transaction scope. So you can say, using ES transaction scope, and then list and join and say, requires new and all that stuff. And you're not paying for any overhead uh, by pulling in system transactions and stuff like that. There are no lightweight transaction stuff being invoked, no distributed coordinator. And you can also use that stuff on the hosting platforms, which a lot of them turn off the uh they turn off the use of system transactions because they don't want you to try to enlist in things and stuff like that. Uh, you know, we support medium trust mode, which, which is a real nice plus. We run on the compact framework very well. Actually, we have a lot of mobile customers. Um, so, um, we, we're trying to get into a lot of those different areas. We have a customer right now who's hopefully tomorrow will know whether we run under mono. And I think the answer is going to be yes. So we're kind of branching wow. out into the, all, all these different areas. Yeah, that's great.
2: Yeah, well, and the fact that you're multi database just makes it easy for you to deal with going over to Mono, where you're going to find a lot more MySQL exactly. and Postgres. Exactly.
3: Exactly. We have a lot of Oracle, a lot of MySQL, and uh, uh, the person who's doing this is, is a guy I work with too, and he's uh, he's going to give me a report back tomorrow. But he ran some tool that gen- that looks at our assemblies and said, "Yep, this this should all run under Mono." And I think it'll be big for us because we make MySQL and PostgreSQL and Oracle so easy. I mean, Oracle's kind of tricky to work with. Yeah, it is. But not with our stuff. It is just really easy.
2: Yeah, I, I when I do talks on SQL Server, I often say to guys, you don't know how good you've got it. Yeah. yeah.
3: SQL Server's very bright. Yeah, it's, you know, and I've had to, uh, I've done a lot of work with Oracle. I mean, we're using Oracle sequences and all this stuff for identity columns and all this. And, uh, you know, I've had to recreate databases from SQL Server and the Oracle, so I'm kind of like an almost like an Oracle DBA, and also you know when you generate dynamic SQL for Oracle, it's a lot different than their syntax for stored procs. I mean there's a lot of there's a lot of work in there, but you know working on my generation kind of laid the groundwork because uh, my gen supports 13 different databases, so I've crawled around in all these system tables and figured out how to pull all this metadata out. I always kind of jokingly say I, I know more useless information about databases than probably anybody on the planet.
1: <laughs> well, you know, the thing I like about Oracle is that you got to love a database that has to be sold by a guy in a suit. You yeah, know, that they don't. You don't just download it and install it. You know, you gotta you got to visit. Yeah, and a 500 gig installation. I remember my brother, my brother's company when they had Oracle installed. He looked at the size of the installation and said, Oh my God, that's huge. And the guy said, This ain't no wimpy Microsoft
3: program. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's,
1: <laughs> it's not,
3: it's not for the timid. And the tools haven't been that great. They've gotten better. Uh, yeah. You know, and one of the databases I really like is PostgreSQL and stuff like that. That's a, that's a nice little database. But, um, some of the stuff we do, we have really good, uh, you know, entity spaces has very good binary and XML serialization. We even, uh, have an extra checkbox on the template that will generate a proxy stub, which is really nice for marshalling across uh, XML-based web services, uh, including uh, WCF stuff, which is really cool because you can use entity spaces and serialize over the wire. And if you're on both ends of that conversation, it carries the state. So you can serialize across the wire an employee, change a couple fields, serialize back, and then say employee.save, and it saves. And it's smart. It knows only to send the dirty rows, only to send the dirty columns. So it's very lightweight. It just really, really makes it really nice to use. So we're 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 pretty up on a lot of that new stuff. Um I'm trying to think of what else we support. Um we have our own uh, data source control for design time data binding. It's called ES Data Source Control, so you can use that in ASP.net to do full design time support for your grids and controls. Uh and also, the one thing we've kind of pride ourselves on is we basically use zero reflection in Entity Spaces. Even our, um, our data source control for the new uh, .NET 2.0 data binding model uses no reflection whatsoever, where a lot, of, a lot of them are just total reflection. So Entity Spaces is actually very quick, and it runs almost anywhere. It's tiny. I think we have like a 200K footprint.
1: What about uh, Codesmith or uh, uh, CSLA.NET? You support all those? Um, We
3: we have templates for, um, there's some templates on the My Generation site for CLSA.net. One of the things that we're doing for entity spaces, well, I should probably say this, My Generation has been released on SourceForge um, as BSD. Hmm. So now it's everybody's. I mean, the source is there. It's free as in free beer, basically. So wow. you can take it and build another commercial product with it if you want. Uh, and there's there are actually a lot of people still up there working on it. There's some really cool new features coming out on my generation. But one of the things the Energy Spaces team is going to do for uh, ES2008, which is Energy Spaces 2008, is we're looking at creating a code generator that runs as a website on your local box, but it uses the my meta and all the the database meta data engine from my generation and the nice thing about this is you just pop up to a website and you you can write templates or run our templates and the nice thing is is you have full intellisense when you're uh creating your templates and you have full debugging support just like you do in ASP.net. uh and we're rewriting our templates in such a way that they sh- they will run under codesmith or my generation or our own uh asp.net generator which we think is going to be really popular. So we're coming out with our own uh, basically a new code generator we haven't named it yet uh, that'll be run as a website on your box but you don't have to have is although a team could run it as you know off of a core server. Uh, we've got a, we've got a blog post about how that's going to work and stuff.
2: Mike I, I was aware of the fact that my generation is on SourceForge now I'm curious as to how you got there really. Uh, I mean obviously entity spaces was, was originally built on my generation but why turn it into a BSD why make it free beer
3: well you know it was always free my generation was always free and it was on our own little kind of made up license and it was free it was but it was always free and one of the things Justin and I agreed upon basically was that we were going to always keep it free we had thought about commercial stuff um but there was just a huge. I mean, if you if you go to the My Generation site, there's an online template library. One of the things My Generation can do is, it's got a little button on it. You click it, and it, it, there's just tons of templates out there that people have written that you could download. So it's a pretty big community that are using. There's a lot of In Hibernate users. There's just a lot of people that use it, and they're, you know, we didn't really want to turn it around and say, okay, now that we got you all hooked, you're going to have to pay for it. Yeah, that's not fair. It's hard to uh it's hard to spend the time on it to. uh Keep it up to date and keep it moving forward. You know, Justin and I all have a lot going on. You know, we all have pretty big families. So, what we decided to do was we needed to open source it somehow. And we wanted to try to put it somewhere where people would get involved. And, uh, we thought the best way to do it would be to do BSD. Because it opens up the door for a lot of things to happen. Uh, there's the, uh, oh, there's the iDevelop project, which is BSD that, uh, has some interest in it. There's just a lot of things going on. There's a lot of users actually adding stuff to it. And that's really what we wanted to do. We wanted to enlist the community into keeping it going because we get a lot of requests. Gee, can you add this database? Can we add this feature? And, uh, you know, it's hard for us to keep up with that demand, especially when I'm working on entity spaces and stuff like that. So we just decided to go open source and try to enlist the community into helping build it into a better product. And, and it, we thought it would live a lot longer that way than if Justin and I were the only two people involved. Well, and
2: obviously, you know, the .NET Nuke guys who .NET Nuke became an open source project quite a few years ago. Exactly. But now they've set up a business around supporting .NET Nuke.
3: Yeah, yeah, we we didn't really want to go that way. You know, my, my interest really is building architectures, and one of the reasons why I, I build the code generation system at all is because, you know, I do it as a means to creating architectures. That's what I really like doing. Uh, you know, I had, a, I had an architecture before Entity Spaces called Doodads, which ships with uh, my generation, which was pretty popular, and I knew that something new had to be created. Doodads was too simple. It was really only using 1.0 features and stuff like that. So... Um, it just kind of evolved that way.
2: So, yeah, I get the sense that you you only created my generation for the code that it could make for you.
3: Yeah, as a matter of fact, it was funny, my generation when we first released it, it, there were people downloading it and looking at it, but it was really when we put doodads and architectures up there that people really started to take off. I mean, there's Matt Noonan has uh, easyobjects.net that's built on top of uh, uh, the Enterprise Library, there's clsa.net, there's uh, the opf.net stuff. There's a bunch of in Hibernate stuff. Ibadis. I mean, there's just a ton of stuff up there that people have developed and stuff. So it really has caught on. Uh, so originally people came looking for an architecture, I think. And so we created one and made it free and, and it kind of caught on. And I think it supported eight different databases. Um, and so that, that's what I like to do though. I, I really, I like to, I like to create architecture. So I guess in a new Spaces is, is is where I want to be, and my generation kind of helps me get there.
1: It makes sense from my perspective, too. I mean, I like to be focused on the, the front end of a project and, you know, maintaining it and adding bugs and features. That's the code I don't want to write.
3: Yeah. You know, the funny thing about uh, Entity Spaces is we generate some code, which are we call it the generated classes, and then we have custom classes that inherit from those, so you never edit the custom or the generated code. You always edit the custom code. But the nice thing is, because they're in separate classes, the only thing in the custom code is what you've actually written to get your product done. So we look at that as your your real business logic is in this, these classes. And the only thing that's in there is your real business logic. So there's not all the underlying infrastructure all intermixed and woven in with your code. So it really makes it nice to look at a class. And we we're, we we're, we we're, we don't use the word DAO on the entity spaces. You know, I, I left that whole kind of paradigm you know seven or eight years ago. It's not really a DAO. We don't create a DAO and then create business objects. These are just business objects that you use right in your web pages to access your data. You can bind to them. You you know, the the API is simple. It's new one employee, employee first name equals Mike, employee dot save. That's how easy it is. And you use it right in your web page. Some people have tried to wrap it up, but they end up regretting it because it's just a waste of time. Yeah. What Scott, my partners are, Scott is like, he works for Venexis. He's a, he's really a dot net nuke expert. So we put the... And David had worked with me on Doodads and My Generation stuff. And Scott was a a, a My Generation fan. So when I put any spaces together, you know, we, we, we really, really wanted to go after the .NET nuke Nuke, uh, DAL area. We wanted to create a provider-independent system and really just the best and easiest to use architecture out there. Um, we're kind of small still, so we've... Uh, it's growing a lot by word of mouth. We do some advertising, but our, you know, our sales have been continually going up. So we're, we're doing the right things, and we're also... Uh, very, I'd say, customer driven. Our, what we talk about with our users on the forms are things that make it into uh, our product. So we're always creating things and, and the, the releases that we do are really product driven. Uh, our folks can reach us and talk to us and we have really good form support. So uh, we, we really feel like, you know, that our users are getting the features that they want. That's why we're not, for instance, that's why we're not doing a link provider. We don't have tons of people on the forum saying, gee, I want the link syntax. It's been brought up a few times, but our new syntax is so good, there's just no reason to do that at this point.
2: Yeah, and, the, and 3.5 sh-
3: hasn't shipped yet. You're not going to get big demand until people are doing work in it. Exactly. And, you know, we're we're watching some people that are messing around with link and stuff, and we just don't think it's worth it right now. You know, we've got a year to add other features before we get the link, we think. Um so we're we're kind of holding off on that, and there's you know there's not link around for all these you know .NET data providers that we're using. So uh, we're we're really focused on making the depth of Entity Spaces a lot deeper, and also reaching out. We the mobile you know Entity Spaces works very well in the mobile environment, and we've got some blog posts about that. It also uh, works very well under .NET Nuke, and we have a lot of people using that, so we're we're really interested in this Mono support, you know, especially with Nobel getting behind Mono and stuff. We think that could be a good area for us as well.
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by your connection to .NET Nuke, like the idea that you would go into DNN and replace its data access layer. I'm just trying to think now if DNN has support for other databases.
3: No, you know... This was I, maybe I shouldn't even talk about this, but
2: <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah,
3: you should, you should.
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> if you know, I always said this. If .NET Nuke was using any spaces, .NET Nuke would be running on PostgreSQL, Oracle, Vista DB, MySQL, you know, mm. Access. It would be running on all these databases. That was kind of our goal. We kind of hoped that they would take an interest, but our model really conflicts with them. They're BSD, we're not BSD. Um, and we, you know, we know some members on the core, uh, that we've talked to and stuff about that. And it's just a shame that, you know, the Dow is really bad in .NET Nuke and and they've been talking about revamping it and stuff like that. There's been an ongoing debate for years. And I I always kind of thought maybe now that they've moved to Redmond and stuff, that maybe it's going to be the entity framework. I don't know what their DAO is going to be, but, uh, it seems to me like they could really increase the, the, the reach of that system if they supported other platforms than just Microsoft SQL Server. And p- besides that, their DAL is really tough to use.
2: So, I mean, what, what you're saying here is if I actually wanted to run .NET Nuke against Oracle, I could use Entity Spaces to do it.
3: Yeah, you can. But, well, not really, Be- you, because .NET Nuke itself doesn't really run on Oracle. Right. Yeah. Um, you could write a you could write a module that was hosted on Oracle, but you couldn't. You'd have to run it. You know, what I mean, it's just it's just just the uh, the options aren't there. So most of our guys are that are using .NET Nuke, they're just using SQL Server, but it's just easier for them to use the uh, use the Entity Spaces as their DAO than .NET Nuke. Plus, we provide a lot of features that .NET Nuke doesn't, which is like transactions and dynamic query and all this other stuff that we provide.
1: So are you ready for the big news? Telerik is taking the wraps off four new product updates. RAD Controls for ASP.NET, RAD Controls for WinForms, the first official version of the Telerik reporting tool, and a brand new suite codenamed RAD Controls Prometheus. And you guys think I don't sleep. Telerik's tools have always been great, but I think this time they've outdone themselves. Well, here are the details. Prometheus is built on top of Microsoft ASP.NET Ajax, and it'll become the successor of RAD Controls for ASP.NET. Just as ASP.NET AJAX will be the future of ASP.NET, RAD Control's Prometheus represents the future direction of all new Telerik development tools. This new suite of controls will also pave the way for seamless integration with Microsoft Silverlight, formerly WPFE. The WinForms suite aims for the stars with powerful new grid, chart, and tree view controls. For me, it seems like a major player on the WinForms market. Another intriguing addition to Telerik's portfolio this spring is Telerik Reporting. The product introduces a new level of development experience, which Telerik collectively calls EaseAbility, a naturally intuitive mouse-only approach to generating Windows, Web, and PDF reports. And if that's not enough, go to www.telerik.com to check out what's new with Telerik's renowned RAD controls for ASP.NET.
2: So what about uh, – I'm still trying to get a handle on how Entity Spaces and Web Services and WCF are related, because I know you've done a bunch of work in this area. I just don't see how the two connect together.
3: Well, the, area, the Entity Spaces objects are – they're just – they serialize really well. Uh, and and there's, nothing, there's nothing to them. They're kind of – they're lightweight. Really what they are is they're like glorified wrappers around data tables. When you access an entity space property like employee.firstname, we're really poking in and out of a data table. Uh, but what we did is we put another layer on top of our generated objects called the proxy. And the cool thing is, is you can, you can new an employee proxy and give it a real employee object and serialize it over a WCF communication line and then deserialize it on the reverse side right back into your real employee object. So you can use it sort of like remoting. And the nice thing about it is all your state, what columns are modified, uh, what rows are dirty, all that's there. So you can ship it across and typically on the client, he'll receive it. And when you want to send it back to the server, you, when you, when you, uh, use the proxy that wraps it, you tell it, I only want to send the dirty columns and the dirty rows back. So you can send a huge packet over to the, to the client and a tiny little white, uh, lightweight packet back to the server and do the update.
1: Now, are there any un-serial or non-serializable fields that uh, you don't allow?
3: Um, there are some in, in our internal architecture that don't go back and forth, but they don't uh, affect the performance of entity spaces. We actually do that. We actually generate the WCF data contract for you, you know, the attributes where you give it the fields and all that for, w, for WCF. Well, actually, There's a checkbox on there that will generate it and make a whole WCF communication layer out of entity spaces for you.
1: I mean, if you have like a blob data type in SQL or a text data type, is there any data type in SQL Server or any other database for that matter that, uh, that doesn't serialize anything that you have a problem with?
3: No, we, we actually serialize the binary blobs. We actually have a... Uh, a web service sample with a client that you can download and we host web services on the Entity Spaces site and you can run our web services client and hit the uh hit our web services hosted on anyspaces.net and you'll see the binary images we show the packets, too and you can save data back to our database and all that so we're sending the the binary stuff and we we do we have binary web services we have what we call traditional web services and then we have web services built around our proxies where you happen to be on both sides of the web service you can use our proxy which is a lot smarter instead of deserializing into a total pseudo object that you know visual studio would create you deserialize into a true entity spaces business entity on the client side which is really cool and then you can you can change it save it you know do this and then serialize it back across the wire and commit it and it knows whether it's a modified, updated, deleted, and all the columns you change and stuff. So it's pretty sophisticated. We have really good, I think, WCF support. We have people using XAML, too. Uh, and that's why one of the, 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 the new uh, features coming out in this next release are all this new query syntax that we've kind of spoken about and then hierarchical data binding and hierarchical serialization. We have the hierarchical object model, but we currently don't serialize it or allow you to bind to it hierarchically. So those are, those are uh, the features we'll be rolling in over the next couple of weeks, and that will be our next release, all this new dynamic query syntax and hierarchical data binding and serialization.
2: That's just extensions of 2007. That's not necessarily 2008.
3: Yeah, 2008 is going to be really centered around a whole new code generation model with a bunch of new features. We use a tracking system. We have a bunch of features that we want to add, um, and we'll probably at that point be shipping .NET, you know, 3.5 versions and 2.0 versions of Entity Spaces, uh, and we're going gr- to do a lot of stuff to get, get into the mobile area as well. But it'll really be centered around what we're going to try to do is create a whole community around Entity Spaces. So we're going to have this ASP.NET code generation system, which really you can you can people know how to code ASP.NET sites, and they're just you know it's so easy. If you see it done, you've got you're going to be using IntelliSense. You've got the My Meta stuff, which is going to feed you, like spoon feeds you when you're accessing the metadata. You're going to be able to create templates. You're just going to use the, you know, ASP.NET literal tags to toggle in and out of code and, and literal content like you would any other ASP.NET site. Yet you can create these really cool entity spaces add-in features. The nice thing is, is we're able to put that website on an EI or an IE control in a thick client app. So you can run this website in a thick client app that we provide that does all this other cool stuff, which is pull down, uh, entity spaces. Uh, templates written by third parties so we're going to basically be creating a whole community around Entity spaces where users can create and extend entity spaces and share templates and customizations and uh, even we're going to even open up uh, the ability to write third-party providers so if someone wants a SQLite provider for entity spaces and you know we're not interested in doing it because there's just no market there well somebody can go and create one because we'll, we're gonna, we're going we're going to give away one of our providers the source to show people how to do it it's pretty easy
1: has anyone ever asked you about uh, SharePoint integration?
3: We've actually had some people talk about that and some uh, membership stuff. Yeah, you know, the, I think SharePoint could be a really good use for Entity Spaces, just like we we run as the .NET nuke Dal. I would definitely, if I was doing SharePoint, I'd want to use the Entity Spaces for my all my data access work.
1: Interesting. Now, uh, we were talking a little bit before the recording started about uh, Link, and you had an opportunity to 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 look pretty deeply into it, and. Um, You'd be a good guy to to give a qualified opinion. So what do you think? What are your thoughts about Link?
3: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things that I guess I found kind of surprising is our forums aren't overwhelmed by people asking us about Link. You know, all of a sudden, Link, you got the license, the go-live license, and, you know, people could be using it right now to develop projects for the future, but we're not seeing a lot of that. You know, we're kind of pleasantly surprised, uh, but the link, link syntax is a little bit confusing. I mean, even I, when I started playing with it to do sub selects and some of these things, it's not quite straightforward. Uh, it's different than the traditional T-SQL syntax: select from, join, inner join, you know, order by, whatever. So it takes some learning curve. Um, so I think people are sitting back and waiting. For me, link link by itself is just a query mechanism. Okay, so I can use link. I can query a database now. What? Well, I'd have to combine it with the ADO.net entity framework if I want to do anything. So I think people are sitting back and evaluating that. Um, yeah, you can do link, but you really, you're just querying. You still need to update. So you need more than link. Link is just a kind of a glorified query mechanism built into the, to the C sharp language or whatever. So. Well, what about link for entities? Link for entities? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I haven't had a chance to play around with that as much. I mean, I've linked into our entity spaces collections and, and stepped through to see how it works. From, from what I gather, it's, and I, I could be wrong on this. It uses a lot of reflection, and I hear a lot about performance, uh, in the ADO.net entity framework and stuff. So I hear a lot about binding performance, about slowness. I, I don't know that link or ADO.net, I mean, sorry, the entity framework are ever going to run under mobile apps are under medium trust on some of these hosted platforms because it uses so much reflection or mono and such. So I think from my perspective, I'm, you know, from an entity spaces perspective, I'm not really panicked or really worried about where a link goes. We're going to support a lot of the link stuff. We'll take advantage of it where we can. I mean, it's actually possible to create a link query and get back a reader from it. So technically what we could do in an entity spaces is we could let you do a full link query and uh, call that within a custom method of entity spaces and we would just reverse engineer a data table from the reader and give you back an entity spaces entity. Now in one of the earlier betas, um, Microsoft actually had a way to get a data table from a link query and they took that out when they released it, which was kind of disappointing I almost half wonder if they didn't do that so that a lot of this, you know, a lot of us ORM makers couldn't take advantage of that because it was a, you were able to just query, get a data, data, data table back, and you know that would have been perfect for us because bingo, that's our underlying data structure is a data table. Yeah. So we would have had link, full link support day one, right out of the box. We could still do it with a data reader; it's just, just a little more cumbersome. Right. So you know what we're doing is our query syntax. A lot of people like it; they like it better than link. I mean, what we've done is. We've just oh, we just added the oring and anding operators too, so you can when you're querying you can say where first name equals this and and you're using the actual you know C sharp anding and oring operators. So it really is just it's full natural language syntax. You can use greater than, equal than, you know, less than, not equal to, all this stuff. So it's just like writing a, a C sharp code, but you're right, it, it turns out to generate really nice SQL. So that's where we're going. We're 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 kind of you know like I say. Our query will run under all these systems that Link won't run under right now anyway. So, Mike, when we first started talking about code generation on
1: .NET Rocks, Kathleen Dollard was our really first guest who talked about it, and um, she she gave me a number that stuck with me. Uh, I asked her the question: When you go in to do a project, you know, for a customer, she's a consultant. Yeah. How much uh, how much time do you shave off of the process by using code generation? Wow! And her answer was about thirty five, thirty to thirty five percent, if I recall correctly, Richard. Yeah. Um. So let me ask you the same question. I would go way
3: higher than that. I mean, to be honest with you, it depends on what you're generating. I mean, obviously you're generating something, and what that something does is really the value that you're adding as far as entity spaces go. You know, when I, when I hit the ground and I generate an entity spaces architecture, I've got a fully hierarchical object model that can save hierarchically as well. I almost never have to stop and write a proc, especially with this new version. I can do it on the fly when I need data. I don't have to stop, uh, create a proc, you know, either reverse, re-engine, re-regenerate or add some custom methods to a DAO method. I never have to do that stuff. Uh, everything's at the touch of my fingertips. I was, I would say I'm, I'm more like into the 60% of especially because in reality, most applications we write are ASP.NET sites or whatever on top of a SQL Server database, and most of this stuff is just CRUD operations. And a lot of people create really complicated architectures, and that's where entity spaces is different. Like people talk about the impedance mismatch and DAOs and all that stuff. We don't even deal with any of that. I mean, hmm. you're just using a collection and a single entity in your web pages, and they read like a book. I mean, I've, I've showed my, uh, my son. He's 10 years old. I've showed him the, the, the code, kind of code we generate. I mean, people, people that young could write this kind of code. Wow. Uh, so our stuff, I think it's way higher than 30, 35%. I mean, I, I would go 60%.
1: Wow, that's encouraging.
3: Yeah, I mean, we really, I mean, when I'm done generating an any Spaces object model, there's like hardly any screens I can't recreate, you know, create in four to eight hours. I mean, it's just pretty easy. You can bind directly to them, so you can bind directly to our entities. We support all the, I typed, uh, interface and all that kind of stuff, so you can just bind right to a collection. Uh, you can use our ES Data Source Designer. Uh, and like I say, it's just, it's just, you know, new an employee object, fill them in and ask them to save. Uh, there's implicit transactions that happen underneath for collections. Uh, you can group those in higher level transactions. It's, it's pretty transparent because we use a uh, thread local storage for the transaction. It's really, a, it's just a nice model once you play with it. But again, I would say, you know, most of the applications we write, they're almost all crud. I mean, typically you're regurgitating stuff on the screen. They, they fill it in, and you're committing it back to the database. You know, how much really business logic is there in a lot of this? I mean, yeah, you're doing a lot of validation and stuff, but I don't really consider that um, business logic. So. That's data
2: validation and could exist in the database as easily as anywhere else. Oh, well, it exists everywhere.
3: Exactly. We don't try to reproduce any of that. You know, we don't, We we, we try to encourage people to do. Uh, foreign key constraints, and you know, uh, there's been some talk about do, you know, can you do cascaded deletes in, in Entity Spaces? The answer is yes, but we're we debated doing that this release, but we don't want someone to go in there and whack their whole database model accidentally by calling this method. And besides that, a database should be able to do that. You know, you you put it on your foreign keys and you cascade delete, and that's really the way we want people to try to use it. So you know, we don't we don't try to re- reinvent things that. DBMS systems do. We just make it easy to really use and consume those systems. I noticed uh built-in paging capabilities. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool, especially with our ES data source. When you query data on our query API, you can say page size and uh oh and page. You can say I want page 10 and I want the page size of 30. And what we'll do is, you know, of course, the the Entity Spaces providers are the ones that actually will generate the SQL. But for SQL Server, we'll use the new RONUM feature in uh, SQL 2005. Right. and, And, you know, create the SQL for that and bring you back that. As a matter of fact, our ES data source control, you can set the... Um, page size and page number, and it does it automatically. You can page through data, you know, millions of rows of data. And the nice thing is is you're not really bringing back all those millions of rows to SQL Server and then spitting 20 out to the client. We're only bringing back the 20 from SQL Server. And I think we support, yeah, Oracle supports it, Uh MySQL supports it, and I think actually even PostgreSQL supports it. And some of the syntaxes are actually way better in, in non-SQL because they use just uh like... A, a limit and top, you know, it's really kind of nice.
1: Yeah, that's
2: right. Uh, Postgres, I've I spent some time in, has limit and offset.
3: Yeah, that's it, limit and offset. And I think so does MySQL and Oracle has something similar. So, you know, SQL Server is the only one that's got the really funky API where they, you know, you have to do a select within a select. It's like a, a weird pseudo-temporary table syntax Um yeah, the the CTE, the
2: common table expression. Yeah, yeah. Because the, the row num function, which is a ranking function, yeah. can't be used in a where clause. So you have to cast it as part of a CTE and then reference it in the main query. Yeah,
3: I was I was kind of shocked when I saw that syntax. But once we build, <laughs> you know, what we do is we build it into our API. And then, you know, like it's not supported on Vista DB yet or Access or whatever. And, they, you know, you just can't use that feature if you're using that database. But it's pretty it's pretty uh it's pretty neat to use the multi d b support because at least you know mysqL just added it, but they didn't used to have a bit field, so we would use like an int but our SqL server database was using a bit right so you just put a one or a zero in the in the int but my C, or, but entity spaces is, degrades very date uh, gracefully in that you can use these kind of mismatch columns types and still have it all work. Even though the even though the MySQL column is an int, we're returning you a true or false, you know, in the business objects because that's what you generated it off the EntitySpace's uh SQL Server implementation. So it's pretty uh it's pretty graceful when it comes to that kind of stuff.
2: So then what happens if you try and use paging on like a Vista D B provider? It just won't generate the SQL.
3: You you'll just you won't get any paging. You know, we don't really air out in that case uh oh i see on some of them we do like we support all kinds of aggregates you know sum, max min variance standard deviation a couple cases we'll throw an error if it's not supported um a lot most most of the times they are supported like some people will do a group by with roll up some databases won't do the with roll up stuff like that right um but it's 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 always supported when you generate you know it'll be there in the api we do some neat stuff too like we uh we use just we don't do a lot of interfaces and stuff, but we do a neat trick where if you're generating your classes, you're going to have certain properties: first name, last name, the employee age, whatever. Well, we have a lot of properties that we put on your query too, like top, you know, last query, page number, page size, all that stuff. Well, we don't want that to conflict with your properties because you know we might have a name collision. So we tuck those under an, a little class. So You would say first name. Es. Top. So we hide those in a little variable we call .es. So it's kind of nice. It's really just a, a nested class that actually points back to the parent class, but you can't see those properties. It's kind of nice trick so we never have collisions with name stuff. So it's it's really, when you use IntelliSense, you're not looking at all of our garbage. It's all hidden away in that ES. So when you say employee dot, you're really seeing mostly your stuff. Right. You're not seeing all of our underlying infrastructure all mixed up in there as well. So we really do focus on... The user writing an application and a lot of our users, you know, they're, they're, they're medium to beginners and they find it very nice to use because they're not, you know, bogged down in all this garbage. Well, a lot of our customers are, I would say, consulting companies that do a lot of custom app development. We've noticed that, uh, they seem to be Probably the biggest group of our uh, customers, and I think what they're realizing is if I know Entity Spaces and a customer comes and says, I want to do Oracle, psh, I'm fine. I, I already know Unity Spaces. It supports Oracle. If they want to use MySQL, if they want to use SQL, no problem. And so they can have these groups of developers shift around from project to project to project. As long as they're doing them via Entity Spaces, they're already trained. They can come off one project, and go on to another project, and they already know. You know, It's not like there's some, there's some big learning curve to learn this other architecture. So they're using it for all their development. And I think it's, it's a smart move. Right. Yeah.
2: Okay, I think we're coming to the end of our time. I've, I pulled a quote out of your blog, and I'd love to get your comments on it. Here's the quote. Microsoft ruined data binding in ASP.NET 2.0 when they dropped component support from the design
3: surface. Yeah, that was a really good blog post, and it was after like three <laughs> days of playing around with uh some of this binding. What happened is, if you support the i type list in .NET 1.0, it's basically an interface. When you go to bind, uh .NET will, you know, the, the grid or whatever will ask you for all your properties, and you feed it back all these properties, and voila, it binds. Well, um, when 2.0 came out, Microsoft said, gee, you know what, we can't support that anymore because we can't make it work. It was just too hard, and you know with people would toggle from design to code mode we we would lose code and screw up and basically be unable to save your page and I found that a little bit disingenuous because I mean you know how many employees do they have you know, and they've got they can put a hundred guys on something like that to solve it. Um, I was kind of a little bit bothered by that because it used to work perfectly in uh 1.0 and all of a sudden it doesn't work. And Microsoft's response, I think you can see that blog post there was, gee, we just couldn't get it to work. And I'm like, well, if you would have given me two weeks, I probably could have got it to work. So anyway, to make a long story short, it meant all of us data uh, vendors had to re-engineer all this complicated stuff. And it's pretty complicated. I mean, you have to write a data source control and there's just a ton of stuff to do. And there's not a lot of documentation. It's kind of like where Link is now. Um So it meant we all get to re-engineer all this stuff. Uh, I really kind of, you know, I felt like it was like derailing all us ORM vendors from, you know, being able to go out there and really take over the market while Microsoft works on whatever they're working on, which turned out to be the ADO.NET Entity Framework. So I got a lot of comments on that. um, But it really was kind of strange how they invented this other model. You do
1: like the ADO.NET Binding Model 2.0 better, though, don't you? I mean, it is a better binding model for the developer.
3: Well, yeah, it it is very powerful. I think, um, but the old one worked just as well. I mean,
2: I'm not so sure I believe that. But it, and I think the real issue here is it's a breaking change going forward. Like that's completely against Microsoft's policy. That I
1: agree with. Yeah,
2: and you know I it,
3: the old the old system worked just fine. I mean, there's there, I don't know how much no, new stuff didn't. you can
1: do. It, uh, in, it really the, didn't.
3: in the new model,
1: I mean, now there was there was plenty of horrible things about the old model
3: yeah i mean but the thing is is it worked and all of a sudden we we go to 2.0 and none of this works now the funny thing is is it does work in wind forms the old stuff works in wind forms just fine just not in the asp.net so we had to re-engineer all that stuff uh you know at the same time they did all this stuff and had all this hierarchical support they took uh you know they took hierarchical data binding out of their grids and stuff yeah. So it was
1: just kind of a strange move, I thought. Pro- you probably nailed it, though, with ASP.NET support. That's probably the reason. It's because they couldn't do binding in ASP.NET without changing it. Because yeah. ASP.NET, obviously, was taken off, you know, big time at the time.
3: Yeah, yeah. So we did. We created a, a, a our own data source control. The interesting thing was is what most people do is they they end up creating these dialogue-based systems where they do they you type in all this stuff and they do it all via 100% reflection. We went just the opposite way. Our data source control uses no reflection but gives you a bunch of events you hook. So when you want to, uh, you know, we don't ask you for your business entity name and string and then use uh, reflection to create that object and call load all on it. What we do is we give you, an, instead of on the ES select event or on the select event, we actually give you an event that goes in your page and you load the you load the code, and on the, you give us the, the data. So you're still doing all 100% normal programming with our data source control. And I think we're the only one that does that. I, look, and I think I list some of that stuff in that blog post where they're all using reflection stuff, which means it's not going to run under medium host yeah. or medium trust. It's not going to work under hosting. It's slower. Yeah, reflection's bad. Too much of it, anyway. Yeah, and, and what happens is what people are doing is they're, they're creating dialogues now where you type in a bunch of garbage to, to create your data-binding stuff. It's not even programming anymore. It's just like here's an old dialogue-based thing. You type in all this stuff with your parameters and all this stuff, and right. there's a web page. So I'm thinking, that's awful. I want to just click on some events, load some Entity Spaces code, and bind. So, I mean, you can in three events, you're, you're running, and there's no reflection. So we went the opposite way that most people have went.
2: I know you mentioned CodeSmith briefly,
3: but, uh, this is a big feature of 2008, right? The new code generator? Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be huge. It's a whole new way. There's, there's not really a code generator built around that you run actually in ASP.NET. Because if you think about it, ASP.NET already has the toggling in and out of literal to programming. It has the debugging. It just doesn't have all the metadata access. Well, my generation, the My Meta API has all that. And it's, it's so easy to use. Once you get IntelliSense, you're going to be able to write templates very quickly. And that's one of the things that, even with Codesmith and my generation, a lot of people mm. can't write templates for it. They're confused. It's, it's not as easy as it is to just write an ASP.net page where our new system is going to be that easy. Wow. So we're thinking that's going to be a real big plus to us. And that's why we're going to open up a lot of the extensions, the entity spaces, and third-party stuff, and host an online template library and stuff. So really, ES2008 is... It's going to add new features, but what it's going to do is it's going to turn any spaces in its site, and it's this thick client that's going to be able to run a website inside of it into a huge community, and that's what we're really going after.
1: Well, Mike, you've got me interested enough to download it and check it out, so I can't wait to do that. Cool. Well, thanks for having me on, you guys. You bet. Thanks for joining us. Sure. It's been great. Great talk. Okay, good. And we'll see you, dear listener, next time on .NET Rocks.